Amen. Hey, thank you for being with us today. Can I just go ahead and tell you that today has been such a pleasure sitting in the congregation and listening to our choir lead worship. Those songs were so powerful. And to watch our choir so just passionately sing the words of those truths, I greatly appreciate it. It doesn't go unnoticed. Listen, today as we're looking at this text, we're going to be looking at Romans. And Romans chapter 6 And here's what's interesting. Just to go ahead and start it off, in 1863 was when President Abraham Lincoln penned the Emancipation Proclamation. Now, in the Emancipation Proclamation, that was his calling to free the slaves in America. And in turn, what did he do? He pins this document. It gets adopted by Congress and eventually becomes the law of the land that it would be illegal for there to ever be a slave owned in America ever again. So that became the rule. That became the law. That became uh, punishable if you didn't listen to the law in which was written. But here was the problem. The problem was is that people did not get that information. And not just every person got it. Mainly, the people that were withheld that information were the slaves who were in captivity. And here's what ended up happening. For weeks, months, and even years after this was a legally binding document, for years after slavery was completely disowned and abolished, there was still people living in bondage even though they didn't have to. Even though they didn't have to, there were literally people that were living in slavery even though they were freed, but they hadn't been given that information. Now, most of the time, the slave owner had the information, and why would he share that, to be honest with you? If he wanted to keep his slaves, if he kept them from the information, he kept them in bondage. See, that's exactly what the enemy does to us. See, the enemy wants to convince us that we are still owned by our sin, even though Christ has set us free. See, when the Emancipation Proclamation was finally officialized, there was a few things that would have to happen for a slave to be able to gain their freedom. Even though freedom was at their fingertips, even though they had a right to it now, they had to first know that they were free. They had to know that it was signed in the law. Secondly, they had to be willing to act upon it. Thirdly, they need to be willing to go up to their slave owner and proclaim that they were now a free man or woman and in turn know that they could act upon it and walk away from that plantation or that slave owner knowing that they had the total 100% backing of the United States. But so many didn't No. See, it's funny because I feel like as Christians, we walk around as if we're in captivity, even though we don't need to. See, I procured these fun things today. And see, I found myself a pair of official handcuffs. And this has been real fun to play with. I've been handcuffing people the entire time y'all have been in Sunday school for them not being in Sunday school. It's been great. We have had many arrests in our uh, commons area. Here's what's going on. With these handcuffs, they have a lot of of power, and I, I do have the key, I need to make sure, I still got the key, we're winning, okay, just to make sure, you always want to check, you have the key, and here's what's going on with these handcuffs, I can handcuff anybody, and you will be enslaved to the handcuffs, you will be withheld, but here's the thing, when Christ came and died on the cross, and you said yes to Jesus, here's what I feel like happened, I feel like the handcuffs were released, 
yet I feel like so many Christians still live their life with the handcuffs on, even though that you have the ability to take them off. See, I feel like we have so many Christians walking around, not walking around in freedom that they have in Christ, not walking around understanding that the old has passed away and the new has come, that the old man has been put to death because Jesus brings new life. And just like Jesus died on the cross, the old man has been put to death. But just like Jesus rose again on the third day, you have also been given new life. Here's the issue. We love to walk around with these things because these things recognize or represent our sin. And our sin brings us comfort, but our sin brings us bondage. So we have the ability to take these things off whenever we choose to. Here's the issue. I feel like often we allow ourselves to be in captive to sin, even though sin has no right or hold on us. The slaves were set free, but they were not living free because they didn't recognize their freedom. I think Christians do not realize the power that they have over sin. See, we give the enemy far too much power. We love to talk about and we love to think about the fear that Satan instills in us. And we think about the power and the strength of the enemy and Satan and his demons and what they can do to us. Here's the thing. Do you recognize that at one name, the mention of one name, Satan cowers in fear? Do you realize that? Like, do you realize that in the name of Jesus Christ, Satan has a complete and utter meltdown and panic attack and cannot function. But yet for some reason, we allow for him and our sin to ensnare us when we have access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Church, once again, I think it's important as we talk about doing this thing called life and running this race, I think we need to recognize that the enemy, our opponent, is not as big and bad as we want to give him credit for. See, at the end of time, when Jesus, or the, the end of the end of time, there's not going to be an end of time, my bad, the end of the world, there's not going to be this crazy, insane battle where Jesus and Satan are going back and forth, and it's like a Rocky movie, and Jesus is on the ropes over here, and Satan's beating the snot out of him, and the next thing you know, he does this sucker punch, and Satan falls to the floor. It's not going to look like that, because Satan has no power over our heavenly father. Satan has no power over our savior and that's who resides in you. Church, we do not give power to the powerless and Satan is absolutely powerless when we have access to the Holy Spirit who resides inside us. Let's look at Romans chapter six, verse one together. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Now, this is a really interesting moment in the text. Because see, in verse 2, when I just read by no means, did you notice in your text, it has an exclamation point right there? See, one text actually, actually says, instead of by no means, it says absolutely not. Should we say then, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound, so that grace may be seen? Absolutely not. See, Paul was a little fiery of a guy, if you can imagine. And I think 
Paul got pretty excited in this moment. And I think as Paul is writing and as he has described dictating, I guarantee you that Paul is absolutely 100% fired up in this moment because here's what was happening. There were actually people that felt like a way to advertise Christianity. In order to advertise following after Jesus, the best thing to advertise is that we are freed from sin and we are no longer under the law, but we now live by grace. Well, that is a great thing. But they were advertising it in a very unique, bold way. They were basically saying that we do not need to be afraid of sin anymore. True. So let's embrace sin and show that Christ still forgives us. And we're not afraid to sin because we recognize that Christ will forgive us for everything that we do. See, you guys think that that's a new concept. We've heard churches that are teaching this recently. Guess what? This was happening from the very beginning of the early church. People were proclaiming that they could do whatever they wanted so that Christ would forgive them, making them think that they were advertising Christianity in the gospel well. Here's what Paul says. Absolutely not. Should we continue to sin so that people will see grace displayed? Absolutely not. See, what's happening is there's this issue in the church. In 1 Corinthians, Paul even mentions it. And he mentions that there were people that were actually, I know this is awkward, but they, they were involved in incestual relationships. And they believed that that was them showing the gospel to the outside to the Jewish faith because they were going, we can do whatever we want because Christ forgives us. Come and be a part of the new Christian movement. Come be a follower of Jesus. See, there was another very popular Russian priest by the name of Rasputin. You may have heard of him. He was in that movie Anastasia, the animated movie that made me cry a few years ago. Touching. Anyway, Rasputin, he had this quote. And he's, he believed, and he was trying to teach people that what we should do is we should embrace sin because when we embrace sin, we get to experience the grace of God. So the more that you sin, the more that you get to see God's grace unfold to you. So he was literally teaching people to sin often so that you could experience grace often. And as you got to sin, you got to experience grace, which then would produce joy. And that was the thesis of his ministry. He taught and taught and taught this till the day that he died. He believed that you would experience the joy of the Lord if you lived in sin because you got to experience the grace of God. Listen, let me go ahead and tell you, I don't need to try to sin to experience the grace of God. Like, guess what? I have to experience the grace of God every single day. And can I tell you that when Jesus forgave me of my sins on that cross, when I accepted Jesus on that very same day, guess what? I got to experience grace that I have still not gotten over. I am not over the grace that Jesus offered me when I came to faith in him. And even if I could have lived a perfect life after salvation, which I am so far from, guess what? I would still be blown away that Jesus has displayed his grace to me. Church, we live a life like Jesus because Jesus decided to pay our sin debt and our penalty. Absolutely. Are we free from sin. Yes, we are, meaning that we do, not to, we do not owe sin anything. We don't belong to sin. Sin cannot conquer us. Amen. But here's the thing. We do not cheapen grace. 
See, Jesus Christ died so that we would not be ensnared in sin any longer. He died so that we could accept that gift of salvation and be rescued from our sin. But when we choose to put ourselves back into the handcuffs of sin, do you realize how much that belittles the gift that he was willing to die for? Do you see what that does? My goodness, it's as if we are not grateful for the sacrifice in which he made. The Lord hates sin, it's clear. Let's look at Psalms chapter five, verse six for a moment. You destroy those who tell lies. The Lord abhors violent and treacherous people. See, we love to use this quote, you know, God hates the sin but loves the sinner. But I believe this to be true. This is just some theology for you. Those that are not in Christ and are in sin, they are identified by their sin. They are identified by their flesh and by their sin. And I believe that that verse is true. The Lord abhors violent and treacherous people because their sin has overtaken them. But he died to allow them the freedom to be separated from their sin, free from their sin. And he loves those who are freed from sin. Paul was facing major, major issues in the church, which is why he is so upset, why he is so heated, why he is so hot, because people have cheapened grace. Verse 3, do you not know or are you unaware that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized. All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized, which that word baptized means united or connected. We've been baptized into his death. Verse 4, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So we first need to know this. We need to know that we are united in Christ, united with Christ. See, that word baptism doesn't just mean to be baptized with water, water as, a, as a visual of our salvation, but rather it means to be connected, to be united, and to submit to. See, there was this moment that we hear in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 as Paul's talking about when the Israelites were having their exodus out of Egypt. And what ends up happening is he ends up using these words that after they had crossed the Red Sea, they were baptized unto Moses. Now, what does that mean? Did that mean they walked in the water? No. What that meant was that they were submitting themselves under Moses. So in this text, as Paul is using it with the word baptism, it's meaning to submit to, submitting to the Lord. So as we have been baptized into him, just as Jesus Christ was baptized, let's look at verse three, I'll just read it verbatim. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. Therefore, what does that mean? That's supposed to mean an act of submission unto his authority. When we have come into faith with Christ and been baptized and become one with him, we become one flesh, just like a marriage. Y'all, one of my favorite things to do in the morning is my little treat is I love to do a fruit smoothie, okay? Fruit smoothies are my thing, okay? Here's the thing I've learned about fruit smoothies. Number one, don't forget to put the lid on. Learned that the other day. Has nothing to do with a sermon, just pro tip of life for you. Just remember that, college kids. Number two, here's the thing. I can put all of my ingredients in, and before I hit the blender, it's very easy to determine what's in the smoothie, right? 
it's really easy to see what's in the smoothie. You can tell that we've got bananas and we've got blueberries and we've got some protein powder and some peanut butter and some ice cubes. We can figure all that out. But the moment that I hit the blend button, it becomes a whole lot more difficult to tell what's inside the smoothie. Because guess what? I can separate all of those things and take it out of the blender before I press press blend really easy. I can put the strawberries back with the strawberries and the bananas back with the bananas. But once I press blend, what ends up happening? The old ingredients are gone and you have something completely new. Not because the bananas are new and not because the ice cubes are new. It's because you have completely changed what once was and created something new with those ingredients. They are no longer what they once were. They're no longer just bananas. They're no longer just strawberries. They have become something together that they were not a part and they can never become what they once were. Do you see where I'm going with this? See, here's what's interesting. When it comes to like baking a cake, same concept. We take a whole lot of different ingredients. And if you put a cake in front of somebody and they ask, what is that? Do you say, well, that's eggs and that's flour and that's this and that's that because I don't know what else goes into a cake. And so (laughs) uh, I'm just really good at eating them, not good at making them. Here's what I'm saying here. When we become one with Christ, when we come into faith with Christ, we are completely new creation. We cannot be removed from him, nor will he be removed from us. That is the power of the gospel. We are grateful that Jesus Christ would never leave us, abandon us, nor forsake us. But we also need to recognize that because we are a new creation, the old is gone. We no longer identify as who we once were. We identify as who we are in Jesus Christ. Christ. Verse 6, we're going to see that we've been crucified with Christ. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. See, often we get this verse confused with another verse saying that we need to die to ourselves daily. But that's not really what Paul's saying here. Paul's not telling us or commanding us to do anything. He is stating a fact of something that has already happened as he's talking to believers. He is saying that your old self was past tense, crucified with him in order that the body of sin, in order that your sinful nature, in order that your sinful self, in order for your sinful past would be brought to nothing so that we no longer, We are no longer enslaved or owned or controlled by sin itself. See, it's almost as if what Jesus did is he took you back 2,000 years ago when you said yes to Jesus. And he took your sinful self and put that on his cross and killed the sinful self so that you could in turn walk in newness of life. There's an old illustration. You've heard it before if you've ever grown up in church, but I feel like it's important to not let this one die. See, it's as if you were in a courtroom guilty of a crime that you absolutely committed, and that crime deserved death. And in turn, the good judge, the right judge, the faithful judge looks at you and says, you are guilty and deserve to be punished for your crime. But a man in the back of the room that had never done anything wrong stands up and he says, I would like to trade my innocence for their debt. I would like to trade my innocence for their crime. Taking on their punishment, they will get my freedom. That's exactly what Jesus Christ did on that cross for you. But then we have to ask ask ourselves this question. If we have been crucified with Christ, the old self is gone, 
then why do we keep on sinning? Shouldn't we live perfectly? Well, let me go over some theology with you that I think it's important that we know. See, we have a big fancy seminary word that's actually pretty simple, justification. It means to be justified in Christ. See, what justification basically means is we are freed from the penalty of sin. And that happens at the moment you say yes to Jesus upon salvation. The moment you say yes to Jesus, you have been freed from the penalty of sin. But then there's another instant thing that happens at the very end of our life called glorification. And that's going to be a glorious moment. See, glorification is when you are freed from the presence of sin. And that happens upon your death when you walk into heaven. What a glorious moment. But then there's one other word that's the most difficult. That's the sanctification process. What does that mean? That means that God is freeing you in the present tense. Freeing you from the power of sin. That's what takes time. That's what is difficult. See, here's the thing. You have been freed from the penalty of sin. You will be freed from the presence of sin. But right now, you are in the presence of sin. And even though sin has no power over you and does not own you, we still often find ourselves walking into sin. But here's the hope. Here's the goal. The longer that we go through the sanctification process, meaning the longer that we live on this earth following after Jesus, our sins will become less frequent. Now, here's the thing. I try to work out just about every day. I like to be physically fit. And here's my goal. Every day, I want to be a little bit better than I was the day before. Every week, I want to be a little bit more fit than I was before. Y'all, if you're on a diet and you're exercising and you're not getting any stronger and you're gaining bad weight, don't you think that you're probably doing something wrong? Like, you should probably change something. If you're never seeing results... Something's not working out. But when it comes to our walk with Christ and the sanctification process, we need to be looking for results. I really hope that by the end of 2020, we look more like Jesus than we did at the end of 2019. Do you see what I'm saying here? And that is the goal that we are striving for. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its Passions. You hear that in verse 12? Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Sin has no right to own you because you are owned. You have been bought with a price. We are united with Christ. We have been crucified with Christ. And now we see we are freed from sin. Let's jump back to verse 7. For one who has died has been set free from sin. That word freed is used in, the, used in the New Testament 15 times. And that word can also be translated as the word justified. You have been justified, but the one who has died has been justified from their sin. The penalty of sin has been removed. It means that you have been declared righteous, not because of anything you have done, but because of everything that our Savior has done. And just as the innocent man takes away the punishment of a wretched man so that the wretched man can experience freedom, that's what Jesus does. We are alive in Christ. Verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. That's encouraging. Verse 10. For the death he died, he died to sin. Mm. Once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. 
See, because Jesus died and raised from the dead, we have hope for eternity. And what Paul's trying to say is he's basically trying to, he's spending so much time trying to explain who we are and whom we belong to. Because Paul understood this, and this is something that is, I'm so passionate about. Paul understood that right belief determines right behavior. If we believe the right things, we do the right things. But if we believe the wrong things, we do the wrong things. And that's why it's so important that we lean on the full account of Scripture. We don't waver. We don't run from it. I want to be a church that is not afraid to be an intellectual church. What I mean by that is this. There are so many churches that just want to be surface level. They just want to know that hell is hot, heaven is good, and how they can get from one to the other. Church, I feel like that is a shame because what I see is I see a Savior that died on the cross for us. I see a heavenly Father and a Holy Spirit that loves us and care about us. And the full countenance of God is something amazing. And we have a small glimpse of who he is and what he is all about. And I think it is important that we do what we can to understand as much of our Savior as we can because we have been given that through the power of his word. Let me throw something at you for a moment. If you were to be married, and just to use me for an example, if I went to my wife and I said, I want to know a little bit about you just to know that you and I are good and we're married and that you love me and now I'm good to go. Keep all the details about yourself to yourself. I'm good. That ain't going to work. My wife might look sweet, but she'll cut me, I promise. Here's the thing I'm getting at. The Lord wants you to be so in love with him that you want to know every detail about him. Listen, I want to know that we have a church that will be willing to study the hard stuff, to get into the nitty-gritty. Listen, we can get into stuff that we even disagree on, and that's okay. Like, that's okay. But I don't believe in running from the hard parts of Scripture. See, one thing that I love to do is I love to plan my sermons in advance because I believe that when I get alone with God and I can come up with a plan that covers the full countenance of God and not spending too much time in the old or not spending too much time in the new and making sure that we really have a preaching plan for 2020 that works out well, what I've ended up doing is this. I've got my preaching plan for 2020 penciled in right now. I know where I'm going each week, and I'm so excited, but here's what I do know. There are some texts coming up that scare me to death. There are some texts coming up that we are going to preach, that we are going to go over, that we are going to study. And guess what? They are tough, tough pieces of Scripture. They are hard. They hurt. But when I look at this word, I don't think that we're just supposed to read the easy stuff. I think that God tells us to love him so much that we want to know every facet of him, even when it means some of the theology in here or some of the teachings in here are going to be a little difficult to understand. They're not going to be that much fun or they're going to be very convicting. Hear me, church. I think it is important that we never, ever run from the full study of God's word from beginning to end. Here's why I say that. Because the more that we know about our Savior, the easier it will be for us to live like he lives and to represent him well. The more that we know about him, the better we can represent him. 
Church, we cannot represent a savior or be a Christian, which means to be a little Christ, if we do not understand the details of our savior. So what does that mean? That means being committed to the study of his word intimately. Let's look at verse 11 here for a moment. So you must also consider, or East Texas translation, reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must also consider or reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive in Jesus Christ. This key word here is consider or reckon. And what it means is to study something and act upon what you've studied. He says, study that you are dead. Recognize and evaluate that the old self is no longer there and that sin has no hold on you. (laughs) One quote I ran across this week was, We serve the God of second chances. I absolutely agree. But one thing I think we need to pay attention to is we need to choose and strive to use as as few of those second chances as possible. See, I think that we need to strive to not have to constantly, constantly find ourselves in sin, but rather use as few of those second chances as possible. The old is gone, the new is here. I read a story this week. And what it is, is it's a story about this woman who was in Alabama. And there was a woman who really loved her husband for almost 30 years. They were married, and suddenly he died. She couldn't bear the thought of being without him. And because she was a wealthy woman with a state, she arranged for him to be embalmed. Instead of being put him in the dirt, in the ground, she arranged for him to be embalmed in a chair, fully dressed. She had a box made like a showcase with glass in front of it and put him in that chair, embalmed, fully dressed in her living room. She would go in there every day when she'd take a walk and she'd say, Jimmy, it was great outside today, wasn't it? Sure, I knew you'd like it. And she'd talk to him as if he was never gone, as if he had never died. And this went on for years. But then finally, she got this chance to go to Europe. And she went to Europe, and she met one of those old debonair Europeans. Whirlwind romance. It was wild. They got married over in Europe, and she was so excited and thrilled, she brought him back to the States, brought him back to her home. And just to be romantic, he picked her up and carried her across the threshold. And they see something awkward in the living room. And he says, what is in that box? And she said, I forgot to tell you. But that's my former husband. And he said this. He said, we're going to have to bury him because you're now under new management. Church, here's where I'm getting at. The enemy loves to remind us of who we once were, but we're under new management. Have you ever seen those signs get put up on restaurants when they're under new management? What is that sign basically trying to tell you? Things are going to be better now than what they once were. Come on back. Hey, things are not as good. They, they were significantly bad before, but now they're going to be significantly better because the management is different. And that's what Christ is saying. There was an early church father by the name of Augustine, St. Augustine. And before Augustine came to faith in Christ, he was known to be a wild man. He was known to spend many, many a nights in inappropriate relationships with women, spending many of nights drinking and doing things that he should have never done. But when he came in faith in Christ, he became a new man. And for years, he was following after the Lord. And one day he was preaching in a town he used to run around in. And a woman that he used to have inappropriate relationships with started screaming from the street, Augustine, Augustine, it's me. 
And she kept saying, it is I, it is I, it is I. Do you remember me? It is I. And he looked at her from a distance and waved. He said, but it is no longer I. Because the old Augustine is gone. I will not revert back to what I once was. Because Christ has freed me from that. For a Christian to find themselves ensnared in sin is truly a choice by them because what scripture clearly says is that Christ will never put us in a place where we have to sin. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with temptation he will always provide, and this is what to focus on, he will always provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Let's recognize that. But listen, church, there's walking point for you. Here's something we need to take away with this. We need to preach to ourselves daily the truth. And the truth that we have to recognize is that sin has no hold on us. Sin has no claim on us. Sin has no power over us because we have been bought with a price and we are owned by Jesus Christ. I read this the other day. There are three influences in your life. Satan and his demons, the world and its people, and you. You get to choose who you listen to. See, here's the thing. I believe words have power. I really do. I believe that words can be powerful. And I believe that when we speak negative words to ourselves, we can speak negative thoughts, which turn into negative beliefs, which become negative behaviors. Remember, what you believe dictates what you do. And often you tell yourself lies about yourself that you end up believing and in turn you begin to act upon. Because hear this quote, words can become worlds. You can find yourself in a completely different world you never wanted to be in because you believed the wrong words. Can I go ahead and tell you some truth today? You are not too far gone. You are not too messed up. You are not too dirty for Christ to forgive you, for Christ to love you, for the Savior to redeem you. Here's some truth we need to hear from Ephesians. This is what Paul writes. He says, you are blessed. Paul says, you are chosen. You are adopted. You have redemption. You have a heavenly inheritance. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You are alive in Christ. You have been saved by grace. You are God's workmanship. That's what our Savior says. Church, let's look at verse 14 to end this. For sin will have no dominion over you since you were not under law, but under grace. Church, we need to be grateful for the grace that Christ has bestowed upon us, recognizing that that grace was bought with a price. It cost our Savior his life He left the comfort of the throne room to come down to earth to endure the shame and the pain of the gospel for you. So what do we do out of gratitude for him? We live life like he has called us to live. But here's something we also need to recognize. For those of you in this room that are still enslaved to your sin because you never said yes to Jesus, the freedom, the key to open the lock is simply making a commitment to follow after the Lord. If you have questions about that and you're not 100% confident that you have a relationship with Jesus, would you come and talk to myself or Brother Jeremy in a moment? Listen, the altar's open and we'll be available to talk to you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. 
God, we thank you for the opportunity we have to make much of you. God, I pray that we recognize that nobody in this room is too far gone. We have been bought with a price, and your grace is sufficient. Lord, we love you. God, I pray you will give us boldness to make eternal decisions today. In your name we pray.